You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Bill Powers. This is Mining Stock Education. And in today's episode, we're going to be getting a uranium market update with Justin Hewn of UraniumInsider.com. Justin writes a newsletter explicitly only focused on the uranium market and investing in uranium equities. So Justin, welcome back onto the program. And let's start off by gauging investor sentiment in the resource sector, specifically the uranium sector. How would you rate uh, investor sentiment right now? Um, well, thanks for having me back, Bill. I appreciate it. Um, I would rate the sentiment in uranium as recovering. It was almost euphoric going into mid-June. Um, the stocks were sort of getting ahead of themselves a bit. And we went from a really strong rally that started in December of last year, uh, when a lot of institutional money started to come into the space. And the, the sector moved, with few exceptions, almost in a straight line uh, for about six months. Um, then this news of Sprott taking over Uranium Participation Corporation hit, I believe that was March or maybe April, and the stocks just continued their run after that. It was a, definitely a buy the news moment uh, or buy the rumor moment. And um, then the sector corrected kind of as it was expected to uh, during seasonal weakness in Uranium, which isn't, you know, it's not a guarantee, but it happens most years, at least to some extent. So mid-June to about a week ago, let's say, we had a pretty pretty decent correction, 25 to 35% in most equities from their highs in June. Um, and the sentiment got really bad in that short period of time. It was pretty darn negative. It was, where's all the front running happening before Sprott comes into the market uh, buying uranium? That was the main question that was flying around, you know, the Twitter sphere and, and the investing community in general in uranium is, this massive catalyst is about to happen. So why are the stocks selling off? So that was, you know, the sentiment was pretty low up until just a couple of weeks ago. And I would say it's in recovery right now. We've had a good bounce um, starting about a week ago with the spot price starting to recover, the spot coming into the physical uranium market. And I would say that sentiment right now is, it's, it's pretty good. It's not euphoric. It's not super negative. It's probably kind of low to mid range and coming back um, now that the market is seeing that Sprott is doing what they claimed they would be doing and the equities are starting to recover. So we're seeing more positive sentiment. Can you elaborate a little more on the price action you're seeing in the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust? Uh, what's the significance of what's going on right now? The, the Physical Uranium Trust, the stock itself is seeing um, pretty good volumes. There's a lot of money coming into the stock and um, the way that the fund works when it comes to its premium or discount to NAV essentially is anytime it's over a 1% premium to NAV, um, you know, the net asset value of all of the pounds of uranium that it's holding based on the current spot price. So when, when buyers are hitting the stock and pushing it up to a premium to NAV, even a small premium, they get a 1% transaction fee every time they buy uranium. So they need that 1% premium, at least it goes to one and a half percent. They've got uh, financial interest on the ATM to buy a, you know, a block of shares, issue more shares. And simultaneously, there is uranium available in the market for purchase that their trader will determine and let them know. If all of those things line up, then they buy more uranium. And it's been happening on a daily basis for 10 days, um, 10 trading days. So the ATM launched 10 days ago. 
and uh, the initial ATM is 300 million US. Um, they've already bought about $73 million of uranium in less than two weeks, about 2.1 million pounds. And their NAV is up uh, 100, let's, about 120 million um, since inception for them. So there's been good buying pressure on the stock and that's a great sign. And it should be in theory, a good positive feedback loop because the investment community will understand if they buy the stock and they keep the thing at a premium and the money is there in the ATM, which it is at least right now. And there's uranium available for purchase. It's just going to keep snowballing and they'll just keep purchasing. So that's what we're seeing so far. These first two weeks had a really, really big first two weeks. I think that they surpassed everyone's expectations as far as the amount of money they've been able to raise and, and the, the amount of uranium they've been able to purchase in such a short time frame. I don't expect that to happen every week, but um, so far, so good. And I think that the uh, shareholders of, um, of everybody's calling it SPUT, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, shareholders of SPUT are, are pretty pleased so far with what's happening in the, in the trust. Justin, in 2007, we had that boom in uranium stocks where the price per pound went up to about $140 at its peak. But that was driven from my understanding a lot by speculators coming in and pushing it up. Do you see the Sprott Physical Trust as kind of putting a damper on any potential parabolic rise in the uranium price? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, their stated purpose is to buy and hold physical uranium. And that's not to say that far into the future, um, when we have a larger correction in the in the price of uranium, that when they trade at a significant discount to NAV, that they'll be selling pounds to buy back shares. That's always a possibility, but it doesn't seem like that's anything remotely close to their intentions here. Sprott has been working on this deal for almost three years, and now that they made that happen, it seems to me that their intentions are to buy physical uranium and move the market up not only for the management fees and the transaction fees that they will receive, but also obviously due to you know, the equities holdings that Sprott has in the space and the appreciation that the shares in theory will have when the price of uranium rises. So in, if anything, I think that this is a, an affirmation to the investment community that isn't yet aware of the uranium uh, speculation thesis or is on the sidelines and waiting for a clear, clear uptrend to get into the game that, oh, Sprott's doing this. This is probably a pretty safe bet for myself as a hedge fund coming in and buying physical uranium pounds. We are seeing that there's other hedge funds that are buying pounds. There's even small family offices buying 100,000 pounds here and there. So I think that it's, um, it's, it, it, it's acting in my opinion as an affirmation of the thesis in a way to have such a big name come into the space so positively and to start making these kind of moves so quickly. Dore Copper Mining is a premier near-term high-grade copper and gold redevelopment opportunity with tremendous exploration potential only 14 kilometers from the town of Shibugamu in mine-friendly Quebec. Dore Copper is debt-free and owns a 2,700 ton per day mill with an 8 million ton tailings facility ready to be used. There is already power to site and it is accessible by paved highway and rail. Dore Copper aims to produce a profitable hub-and-spoke operation of over 100,000 gold equivalent ounces per year or over 60 million 
million pounds of copper equivalent by 2024. Because of the existing infrastructure and location, a low capex is anticipated to recommence production. Dore Copper trades under DCMC in Toronto and under DRCMF on the OTC. To learn more, go to DoreCopper.com. That's DoreCopper.com. When you look uh, geopolitically across the globe, are there any political movements that have you concerned or nation states taking actions against nuclear that have you concerned as a uranium investor? No, not really. I mean, there's there's definitely some political moves that I, I disagree with when it comes to uranium and nuclear energy. Um, but as far as the investing thesis that doesn't at this point have me concerned, if there are different countries that follow that same path, I could maybe change my tune. But, um, you know, the biggest ones right now are, are just the continuation of Germany kind of doubling down on their plan to close down nuclear. And Germany has actually been campaigning against nuclear as nuclear energy has been considered for the uh, green uh, taxonomy in the EU, which would offer up a lot of financial support for nuclear energy and, and bring a lot of attention to nuclear energy in the European Union for some countries that don't have it or are considering shutting it down. But, you know, as, as their energy vending project, $500 billion invested into solar and wind, it's not an abject failure. I mean, they have solar production, they have wind production, but because they've shut down nuclear and gone all out into renewables, they've had to ramp up coal production. They've had to ramp up biomass. They've raised forests to mine coal. It's, it's really a mess. And they have their, their energy prices there. I think they're three X, what they're paying in France. Um, so instead of just kind of quote unquote manning up and saying, yeah, that was a mistake. We should keep our remaining nuclear online because it's safe and it's reliable and it's clean energy. They have to double down on their mistake because, you know, to try to avoid losing face. So I'm not pleased with how that's going. You know, Belgium is planning on closing theirs down. California is sticking to their guns to close down uh, Diablo Canyon. Um, so More electricity shutdowns for you then, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's what is it, 10% of the grid in California and 30% of the clean energy in California? Yeah, how are you guys going to supply all those Teslas then? I really don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand either. I mean, well... Don't you think there's a disconnect though between nuclear energy and EVs? I mean, even when I'm seeing here in Michigan, home of the big three where I live, there's so many more Teslas on the road. There's the Ford came out with the, the Mustang next year. It's the Ford Lightning F-150 truck, all electric. And I'm saying to myself, where are you going to charge these things? And where are you going to get the yeah. electricity from? Yeah, there's definitely a disconnect. Um, it's it's really, really strange to me how such simple critical thinking of where is the electricity coming from to power the, the green vehicle uh, matters. To, to say that this vehicle is a, a move in a positive direction simply because it's electric without actually questioning where the energy is coming from is, is insane to me. Um, in California, actually, uh, a couple of months back, uh, maybe it's more like six weeks ago, we had a little heat wave here and, and the governor actually came out basically asking people to not charge their electric cars between you know X and Y hours of the day. Um, so even with a small percentage of the cars on the road being electric, we're already seeing some instability to the grid based on, you know, all of these cars charging at night and, you know, California going, putting a lot of money and development into solar, obviously without having the capacity to store the energy that's produced during the day, it's not really helping these electric cars charging at night. So something's got to give. And I think the obvious thing that, you know, 
it's, it's pretty simple math. I mean, if they shut down that nuclear plant, there's going to be blackouts if they don't, if they don't make it up with natural gas. That's what they're going to do and or import more energy from neighboring states that are burning it, you know, that are creating it by whatever means. So our government is encouraging people through tax credits to buy solar panels, to buy EVs. And they're thinking about upping and extending the EV tax credits. That, that debate's going on in Congress right now. When you look across the globe, what nations are encouraging the build out of nuclear powered infrastructure? What nations are the top three, let's say? China. India, and let's say the third, the third one, probably Russia. Um, and Russia also is doing a lot of nuclear exports. So they're building nuclear plants in various other countries. It might be one here, one there, but they've got, you know, dozens on the books to build out. Um, interestingly enough. So in, no Paris Accord nations then, right? Not too much. There, there's a few, there's a few. Um, I believe there is a plant being built in France. There's a plant being built in the UK. Um, so there, there's a handful, but it's not the majority by any means. It's, it's mainly the East that's going all out with nuclear with traditional sized plants. We have kind of a new wave of small modular, small modular reactors that's coming, not coming online yet, but the development and the enthusiasm behind them, um, looks to be sincere and that's happening in the States. That's happening in Canada. That's happening in Japan and Russia and China as well. And that has the potential to, change the game. Um, that's obviously not going to happen tomorrow, but the first SMR is, is slated to potentially be running in the United States by 2026 in the state of Wyoming, uh, replacing a coal plant and tying right into the grid that already exists that was connected to that coal plant. I think it's brilliant. And the designs of these things is really, really fantastic. They're, they run on a higher enriched uranium. They can go for uh, in some cases, up to 20 years without a, a fuel change. Um, the, the waste is minimal. Some of them are even working in designs on recycling the waste. It's really a fantastic development. So we're, we're keeping an eye on that. And it has the potential to create future demand out towards the end of the decade, which could affect things in the short, shorter to midterm. But it's all just kind of gravy on top of the overall investing thesis with the SMRs. So, Justin, we're bumping around 30 pounds, $30 per pound spot right now. And as Rick Rule said, the uranium price goes up or the lights go off. So what is the canary in the coal mine for a rising uranium price? Is it the spot physical trust or what other metrics or macro happening should we be looking for? I think, um, yeah, we're actually at about $34 is the ask on the on the spot price right now, which is up, it's up almost 10% in the two weeks since, uh, since spot started buying. Um, you know, the, the supply and demand thesis is solid underneath all of this financialization of the sector. And so if we ignore the spot development and the financial players coming into the physical market, and we just look at supply and demand and what is needed, um, out, let's say in the next three to five years is, you know, the, the price needs to go into that $60 a pound range in order for the projected demand based on all the existing reactors and the ones that are slated to come online in that time frame, which is about 40 to 50 reactors coming on new reactors coming online. Um, the, the, the price needs to go to that to, to 60 bucks a pound. And that, that price is basically the incentive price for, new projects and projects in our care and maintenance that would have to come online in that time frame to balance out the market. Um, so we know we need to about double, almost double from here in that time frame. 
Um, the, the Sprott development, in my opinion, is probably the largest catalyst to hit the space since I've been following it. It's, I think it's highly likely at this point now that the spot market will see some type of price spike. I don't know how similar it'll be to the last time around the last market where we went from, you know, in the teens to $140 a pound in less than three years. I don't think it's going to be that parabolic because we have idled supply. We do have, there's just more uranium out there in the world now, but it's sprot. And if they can keep up anything close to the volume they're already doing, and the financial interest is there to continue buying those pounds, then we could see a really strong price spike. I mean, the co-founder of Sprott, um, this, this gentleman named Kevin Bambro, he's pretty, he's pretty uh, frequent on Twitter. He's making far, far more bullish predictions than I am. He's calling for 50 to $55 a pound by the end of the year. Oh, wow. And potentially seeing $200 a pound. I... I'm not necessarily in that camp because and he works for Sprout. He's the co-founder, but he doesn't work for Sprout any longer. Okay. Cause usually if you I work for Sprout, you can't say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. He's, he's retired. He He's just investing his own money, but he's, he's somewhat active on Twitter. He's pretty sharp. Um, he, he came out guns a blazing when this news hit. So, um, but I do think that the likelihood of the spot market spiking first of all, spiking above the term market, which were a couple of dollars away for the spot to, to, to go above the term market, which in the last market was a big signal of what was about to happen, almost like a golden cross of moving averages in a way. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, there's a lot of questions still about how that's going to affect things because utilities have fuel deliveries that are partially referenced to the spot price. And now they have a market that's likely to be manipulated by people that are not even in the industry. So we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we're pretty confident that the that the that that Sprott and the other financial players that are in the space and are coming into the space now are pretty bloodthirsty, and they know what they want to do with this market, and I think they're going to achieve it. And so we're we're along for the ride. And so. you're along until when? What's your exit strategy? Because every resource stock and you know sector is cyclical, so we don't want to hold on the way down. Can you share a little bit about your exit strategy? Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I think obviously we'll be looking at the technical charts for extreme parabolic moves once we're much higher in the price of uranium. So I think, you know, the first step is to get to the price of where we know it needs to go for a healthy nuclear, you know, nuclear fuel cycle market. And that's about double from here. So until then, without some catastrophic nuclear accident or something, God forbid, um, you know, we're not really looking for the exits. Um, at that point, once we go beyond that, if we see some very parabolic moves, then I think we'll be looking for any sort of news of funds selling uranium into the market. So funds that are buying now and over the next 12 months, let's say, um, selling some of that back into the market would be one sign. I think seeing large outflows from the ETFs after uh, a large move and a parabolic move when we're at high uranium prices is another thing we look for. And then obviously just looking at the individual charts for all of their, our individual holdings. So I, I don't think it's going to be a, you know, barring some, some event, um, some black swan event. I don't think it's going to be a sell everything right now kind of thing. It's going to be trim, trim the biggest winners um, once we're at that large higher price stage, but it's and then live, be, it's live off your chemical product. dividends at that point and energy fuel <laughs> dividends or what? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Right. Uh, 
it's it's going to be a work in progress. It's really there's so many moving parts to the market that it's difficult to say that this is the reason it's going to cause me to get out and this is why and to state that now. I think that this market has the potential to go far far beyond what really is a healthy uranium price. Um, so I think to even just say, oh well, I'm going to start selling once we hit the $65 a pound. I mean, you could leave huge upside on the table by doing that. But you know, again, it's up to every individual to do what makes them comfortable and be able to sleep at night. If you have a whole portfolio that's up many hundreds of percents and it's swinging wildly on a daily basis, you know that's pretty stressful for most people. So, and you're a trader. You come from a trading background, right? So when you get a five hundred percent move, I'm sure you're taking trimming a little profits, right? Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, I think I think if we get some really parabolic moves, um, especially like you've had in the last year, though, right? Uranium equity or eighteen months is it? We didn't do any trimming. No. You, At all. You held. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Other than trading out of positions to trade into other positions. We did, a, I think we made three or four trades in the past 12 months. Okay. Um, that we recommended to our members. So, but besides that, um, no, because I mean, that whole move was made without any movement in the underlying commodity. And we just don't, we don't like to trade on simply on the charts with a fundamental investment because. Well, A, you create a tax event. B, if you don't understand, if there wasn't a super fundamental thing that caused the stocks to go up, then what what is going to tell you to get back in on the correction? It's very, very difficult to time the tops and bottoms. So we like to buy when things are weak and uh, as we're able to, um, um, when we have cash in the account or on an individual basis, if I'm able to add in dollar cost average into stocks like I have for the past three years, I just buy when things are weak and I hold when they're strong. Um, of course, there will be a time to exit. Of course, this is not a speculation to, to marry for the next 10 years. But how high will it go? Nobody knows. So we're, we're just going to have to track it as it happens. All right. And in the meantime, your website is uraniuminsider.com. Remind listeners what they can find there. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, we have a monthly newsletter. We do a very, very elaborate, in-depth macro newsletter every month. And then we also cover all the happenings of our positions. We have a, a focused list of 10 positions that we recommend and that we hold. Um, we send out bulletins intra-month as needed based on company news flow or macro tradable events. And um, yeah, and we do a, a, a quarterly members-only webinar. We did our first one about a month ago. It was fantastic. Um, we do our, our, our stated goal is just to create alpha in the space to beat the market. And so far we've about three X what the, what the ETFs have done since, uh, since inception. So we've hit that pretty well. And, um, and you're the only uranium only newsletter writer, right? It's only uranium. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, um, we're in this every day and we eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. So it's a complicated sector and we, we definitely enjoy helping people through the process of understanding it and distilling down all the complex pieces of news that happen on practically a daily basis, but into what's actionable, what's tradable, what does it mean to an investor? Um, so that's that's really kind of the goal of the newsletter. And so far, so good. It's been a great experience. Excellent. Well, Justin, thank you for your market commentary and market insights today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Bill.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.